Not, not just so much today want to look back and just be so grateful for the amazing things that God has done for us, but I also want to help in these couple of weeks that we have this month to chart a course for what the next 15 years could look like for us as well. So here was kind of my beginning thought. I think planning a church is like birthing a child. As much as you prepare and as much as you have that you think where it's going to go and how it's going to go, how many know you're never quite ready for what's ahead, right? Especially on those first babies and that first experience, as much as you hope and plan for, there are a lot of twists and turns that happen, and so it was in the life of planting a church as well. There were some values and some statements that we made right from the beginning. A lot of you may know them, some of you maybe have never heard them, but we were going to value family over an institution in planting real life. We wanted people to know that this was going to be a fun place, a comfortable place. This was a place where people would, would be encouraged to know that, that, that they might not have everything that, that the world might deem is what's necessary, but they were going to find love and friendship and wholeness and connection in this place in the house of God. We were going to determine that we were going to have teamwork, not just membership in the sense of, of us being like a club, you know? Sometimes Sometimes when you join something as a club member, you pay your dues and, and then you kind of make demands that, that you need to be taken care of and, and this wasn't right and that needs to get fixed and whatever. And we said that we weren't going to be a cruise ship. The desire was to be more like a warship, right? That, that we were going to have this desire that it was going to take teamwork. Everybody playing a part, the significance that God put in you to make all of this happen. We knew that it would be way more than just Debbie and I, but the gifts and the talents that God would bring to you. And then we talked about that we wanted to be a church of purpose, not a church of tradition. We didn't want to just keep looking back to think about the things that happened or, or have something etched in stone about what memories we could only live in that happened years ago, 20 years ago or 50 years ago. But we wanted to live on purpose every day. We wanted to find God's new calling in your heart and our heart every month, every year to see God do something new. Like we sang in the closing, God, send a revival again today, amen, that we would have that heart. Many of you know that we had a, a very familiar mission statement that we simply said, as a church, we wanted to love God, love others, and serve the world. And I'm glad 15 years later, a lot of churches come up with kind of mission statements or slogans, and it, it runs its course in just a couple of years. But I'm glad 15 years later that most of us know that we are driven to love God, love others, and serve the world. You know, we made some agreements one to another. In fact, I'm going to modify this first one. But if you've been with us uh, over these 15 years, you heard early on that we would choose not to be offended. You know, whenever you get a large group of people together, like stuff's going to happen. When, whenever you have family, how many know that not every family is picture perfect, right? There are going to be moments. There are going to be challenges. And, and I thought about it even just over these last couple of years. If I could modify this, I know the fact is, is that we are probably going to be offended at some point in our life, some point here at Real Life. And so maybe the better way to modify this is that we're just going to choose not to hold on to the offense, right? Because I'm sure in 15 years I've offended you in some way, and you've probably offended me or one another, whatever. It's probably happened. And probably not on purpose, but sometimes we just get finicky as people, right? And so rather than realizing I'm not going to happen, I know it's probably going to happen, but I'm going to make a choice not to hold on to it, that, that his kingdom is going to be way more important than my kingdom. And you say amen to that? 
And then we talked about the desire is, is that we all were going to be servants and that it's not just going to be about me, right? It's not going to be about you. It's, it's not going to be about our individual desires, but how can we work together to see God be honored in this community and for us to make an impact in the world around us? You know, that's what got us here these 15 years. And I began to share with you a little bit last week about what is going to take us the next 15 years. And realizing that our world is changing just so quickly that it's probably almost impossible to think 15 years. And maybe we just need to think the next five years, and we'll do that a couple of times over these next years. But I think this is currently where we are at today. And I mentioned it last week, that the world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. I obviously thought just in these last couple of weeks, what would it be like? What, what would it be like for me to plant a church today versus 15 years ago? I mean, how different our world is today. What, what different strategy we would need in our world today. I've been using this little example from a, a book that I've been reading by a, a pastor, Todd Bolsinger, that is trying to define what church is really looking like in this age in which we are living. And he, he's used the example of the great adventure of Lewis and Clark, the Louisiana Purchase. And there was one kind of moment. They, they, they had kind of missed what, what the new world was going to be about. They had started on here on the East Coast, and they thought that they were going to raft and take canoes and make it all the way to the West Coast. They thought the East, the West Coast, was just like the East Coast. Yeah, we have some hills and what we would call mountains, but nothing like the mountains that are out west. And Lewis and Clark got to a place in Idaho called the Lehigh Pass. And it was the first look that any American had seen of the Rocky Mountains. And they came to a moment of, of shock and awe. How in the world are we going to canoe up a mountain? Again, not a mountain around here that's a couple of thousand feet, but, but out in the west where they're 12,000, 13, 15, 16,000 feet how are we going to canoe up a mountain? And I think that we, we consider church life today, and, and I think about these 15 years. There have been a lot of Rocky Mountain moments in our journey. There have been times where we've just rafted, we've been cruising, like everything's been great, and then bam, we find something that we've never experienced before. And sometimes it's by way of people, by personalities, or maybe even processes. I think if there is a Rocky Mountain moment that a church is going to experience, it's probably because of one of those three things. That, that maybe some people think that the world or the church revolves around them or that, that it's not going to function because of them or of me or whatever. Sometimes we feel like a little too big for our britches, like it's, like it's ours, and we realize that, that the church oftentimes can struggle. Sometimes it's personalities, right? And as much as we try to get along, sometimes that there are other motivations and other desires, and it seems to, to pull things apart rather than bringing them together. And I certainly know over these 15 years that sometimes it's the process, change. It's really a hard thing in the church, and we kind of get stuck in our ways. We tend to sit in the same pew, hello, that we always have for the last 15 years, right? I've joked with some of you, you really mess me up when you move from one side to the other, right? On a Sunday morning, I'm thinking, what is going on today, right? The world is kind of shaking right now. You know, Lewis and Clark had to realize when they faced the Rocky Mountains that's either adapt or die. 
we either figure a way, right, to get over these rocky mountains or it's, it's the end. And here's what I kind of came up with. You see, these rocky mountain moments that we have faced these last 15 years, and I'm sure that what we're going to face in the years ahead, these are moments that can either define us or they can defeat us. And that's the same in your life, your spiritual life, and the same in mine, and certainly for us as a church. We can face hard times or difficult moments, but I want you to know, as Bailey talked about just a few moments ago, that God has great plan and purpose for the church. The fact is, is that there is victory that is waiting for us. There's victory for us to ride in today, and there's victory for our days ahead. So whenever we hit Rocky Mountain moments, whether it's among us or whether it's against the enemy, we recognize they can either define us or they can defeat us. And Debbie and I are so thankful and grateful for those of you here today over these last years and some of you from all 15 years that have determined along with Debbie and I that we are going to let that define us and not defeat us. And we're still here believing for God's plan and purpose in our life. You see, I believe that one of the foundations or the anchors that have formed real life and will continue to do that is the idea of salvation and the gospel You see, we don't want to preach anything else but to know that people can be saved and people can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Like, we don't have to be flashy. We don't have to find out what's hot in culture today. We need to be anchored to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is him and him alone that is able to secure our lives, that is going to be the power and the influence for what we can do in and around the world uh, that is with us today. I'm reminded of a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14. King Saul was the first king of Israel, and he had a son, Jonathan. And they became great friends with David, who became the second king. But there was a moment where the Philistines, the enemy, were surrounding them. And, and Joshua or, or, or Jonathan had this moment, this epiphany that said, hey, we are the people of God. Why, why are we kind of uh, standing back or, or, or shuddering at the, at the view of the enemy that is around it? I'm going to go forward and I'm going to believe that God has victory. And, and, and the numbers were not in his favor. It was him against about 35 other warriors. And he looked at his armor bearer, the, that, the young boy that went with him. And he said, listen, you can stay here, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take this Rocky Mountain moment and I'm going to let it be a defiant moment in my life and in the life of Israel. And I love to hear the words of Jonathan's armor bearer. He said, go ahead, for I am with you, heart and soul. You see, to have partners in the journey, partners in the battle that believe that if God is with us, then who can be against us? Amen? To realize that God has been faithful in these 15 years, are there those that are going to raise the banner still with Debbie and I in the next five years, in the next 10 years, in the next 15 years to say, as he was faithful then, we are believing that he will be faithful in the days ahead as well. I am with you, heart and soul. You see, the big picture of this is to realize it's not my church, it's his church, amen? That I know that this church is not going to be defeated because of something that I did or, or, or accomplish or, or have its name because of something that I did or that we did. It's because this is his church. This is his work. And we know that even though the gates of hell would come against us, how many know that the church of Jesus Christ is here, right? Waiting for his powerful soon return. You see, let me finish this morning with this. Peter wrote a couple of books in the New Testament. 
And at the end of his second book, he, he talks to the church. He said, this is, I, I'm writing you two letters. And this letter, I'm, I'm writing basically the same thing I wrote in the first letter. I, I want to drive you to, to believe uh, that what God has started, that God is going to be faithful to finish. I, wanna, I want you to pursue the gospel and the calling that, that you as, as the church of Jesus Christ then have. That we, don't, that we don't fade back, but that we eagerly pursue the high calling of God among his people and for his church. Although the day and the culture is coming against us, there is still plenty of power by the Holy Spirit that we can rage a call and a fire of God among the world that we are living in today. Peter wrote those words thousands of years ago, and I want to share them with you again today. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Can I tell you if there's anything more that should drive a church is that while we wait for God's return is that we're not twiddling our thumbs. We're not just playing church. We're not just t entertaining ourselves. But we have our desire that while we have this moment that we are taking the gospel. We are spreading the gospel. We are living the gospel to those that need to come to know Jesus. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, he said. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything that is in it will be laid bare. And here's, here's where it's at today. So since we know that this world is going to come to a crashing end someday, Peter asked this question of his church thousands of years ago. It's a question I want to leave with you this morning. In knowing this, what kind of people ought we to be? If we realize that time is short, if we believe that the coming of the Lord may happen at any moment, then what kind of people, what kind of church in this day and age, this culture, that is unlike anything that we have ever been in before? One that is scarier than maybe we've ever in before. One that is against the Lord or against the church more than any other time in our world. Then what kind of people ought we to be? Peter said that we ought to live holy and godly lives as we look forward to the day of God and we prepare for his coming. And I want to give you two things. You say, Pastor, how is it that we can live holy and godly lives? What is the mission? What is the vision? How has it changed from 15 years ago today? What is the value that we place on the work of God that is in our hands for our community in this world today. What does a holy and godly life look like today? The Bible tells us, I wanna give you two things from, from Jesus and, and his example to the church. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter one, verse 40, that a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant at that but he reached out his hand and he touched him. How are we to live a godly, holy life in this day and age? My, my words to this church for these next 15 years is that we are people of touch. You see, it might not seem so significant to you in this moment that Jesus went to a leper. We don't deal with that in Erie, Pennsylvania. We, I mean, we've heard about it, but we don't really know what it is. So maybe we could take an example of the last couple of years. How many remember our COVID days, right? How many remember that you finally ventured out to a store and somebody coughed 
really loudly two aisles away from you, and the whole store evacuated, right? Because somebody called. Are you with me today? Right? You see, that's what the life of a leper was in the Bible. The Bible would tell us that when a leper came into a building or into a a marketplace, that they would have to yell out that they were a leper, and people would scatter. You see, the truth is, is that no one ever reached out and touched a leper. But Jesus knew that here was a guy that might be ostracized by the world. That people might think, like a, a young Bailey at, at his age, that the turmoil and the garbage that he grew up in, that would anything ever good come out of his life? It, could he ever experience life to the full? And that was the day that Jesus reached out and touched his heart. Maybe some of you realize that, man, 15 years ago or five years ago, that I'm in a church today because somebody reached out and touched your heart, showed you what holy and godly living was all about, that it wasn't just about themselves, it's not just about us, but we as the people of God, that we are people that will look to people that are different from us. In a culture and a life in which we're living where there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of talk, or, or because of this group of people or that group of people, and sometimes the church gets looked at because we're trying to find biblical mandates and it speaks against a person's lifestyle, and right away we're different and, and it's called hate, and I want you to know that although we all always follow biblical standards, that we as God's people, that we need to reach out and let people know that they matter to God. That people that are lacking to know that there is something real of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we be people of touch. The last thing that I want to encourage us today, it goes to another experience with Jesus that the Gospels, all of the Gospels speak about and right towards the end of each of the Gospels. This is what I believe the real commissioning. We've heard about the great commissioning. I think this was the real commissioning and it happened at the Lord's Supper. Many of you remember that story. Luke records it this way, that while Jesus in his final moments sat down at the table with his closest followers, realizing that the end was near, and Luke records that a dispute broke out among them as they were fighting amongst themselves as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Again, just kind of put your kind of biblical view on for just a moment. Here Jesus is trying to have this final dinner and, and letting them know like, hey, within the few hours, like I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified. This moment is really significant that you hear my words, you hear my heartbeat, because what I'm going to do is instill to you the keys of the kingdom. And while Jesus leaned back at the table, a fight breaks out among the disciples as to who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I can only see Jesus kind of putting his, his hand to his head saying, what in the world is happening? happening? How do you not understand the significance of this moment? And so Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who exercise authority over themselves call themselves benefactors 
In other words, he said, you know, people that, that do these kind of things, that have this kind of conversation, they're the guys that are going to let you know they're going to fund the event, that it's their name that's on the building. Like, like you better understand, like, what, what group that you are in because we're big shots. That's what they were kind of saying. Like, Jesus, he's the king, but, but he's leaving us the, the keys to the kingdom. And, man, I can't wait till we rule and reign, and I'm going to be better than you. And Jesus said, but you should not be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules should be the one who serves the most. Do you want to know how to shut up an argument or division? You pick up a towel. You see, while that fight was going on around the table, around the Lord's Supper, about who was going to be the greatest, Jesus, the Bible says, took the towel. And he put it around him. And he began one by one. He began to wash the disciples' feet. You know, Somebody said to me, Pastor Jim, like if you knew you only had one day to live, like what would you do? And I think for all of us, we would think, man, I don't, I'd fly to Australia, I'd bungee jump, I'd, I mean, I'd do this, I'd do that. You know, Jesus knew that he only had one day left. Do you know what he did? He washed his disciples' feet. See, it doesn't ring true for a lot of us is that we want to be great in the kingdom, we want to see great and big things, and the last thing that we want to do is pick up a towel. But I want you to know the examples that Jesus left for the church and what I want to leave for you today for these next years is it's not about us being great. But if we can embody being people of touch and people of the towel, can I tell you that when you and I get to the pearly gates, I think what you're going to hear and what we're going to hear is well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm not sure God's going to be that concerned about all the other things that where we tried to put our name on it. Did you see what I did? Did you see that sermon that I preached? Did you see that teaching that I did? Did you see how I did this or that? Listen, I don't think that's going to matter in heaven. I think Jesus wants to know, did you reach out and touch people? While these days are, are closing so fast, were you concerned about lost humanity? And are you willing to be a person of the towel? He said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So I want to challenge our church in the days ahead. Can I tell you, for some of you that have been around for a long, long time, you may not know this, but that's not the first time that you heard that encouragement from me. If you were here within the first year of real life, almost 15 years ago, you heard me share those same exact words. That one was looking forward into the unknown. Today it's an incredible opportunity for us to look back at the faithfulness of God and for us to ask the question, have we been people of touch? We often tell people that we would rather run to your mess than run away from your mess. 
He said, I want every one of you to know here today that you are valuable to the kingdom. You're valuable to real life. You are valuable to Debbie and I. And it doesn't matter the scars and the hurts that you have carried in life, that you mean something to Jesus and you mean something to us. Yeah, there are personalities, there are people issues. We're going to offend one another once in a while, but the issue is, are you willing to hold on to that and let the miracle of what Jesus planted in this place go by another day more? Are you willing to realize that I need to be someone that has a heart ahead for what God still wants to do among his people? I want to ask myself that question every day, and I hope that you will ask that question. I hope that we never be a people that are going to sit around bragging about how great we are, how better it's going to be once I get to here or there, but I'd love to hear more and more people say, Pastor, all I want to do is be a person of the towel. Whatever it is you ask me to do, God, I'll be willing to do that. Do you know who I am? Do you know my pedigree? Do you know what my parents or my grandparents did? Man, that by amazing, but I'm asking you today. Is that how you want to walk into the kingdom? Or would you like to say, Jesus, I, I read your example. That you were a person of the towel. And that's my heart's desire as well. Listen, my prayer is, is that real life isn't famous. But I'd love to be Jesus for him to be famous in your heart and my life for us to be able to know that there is nothing more than to follow in his example to be a person of touch and to be a person of the towel amen bow your heads with me father i pray this morning lord as we've had these quick moments to look back at the wonderful journey that has been real life now looking forward that the world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us and lord when we think about message and content and culture it's going to be so different than what it was 15 years ago but I thank you that what we anchor to today is still the same as it was 15 years ago as was it was 2,000 years ago and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power that we believe that you can still save people that you can still transform people that you can call them as we used to say out of the old miry clay and you can set them on the rock to stay. And God, I pray that we will still be people that are believing that in this time of patience of the Lord, that we will be people that are believing for transformation and salvation. And God, I ask among the family of real life that we will be known as the people of touch. That we will run after, as Adriel said nine years ago, that when we find people, that we're not just gonna walk to them, but we're gonna run after them. We are glad to have you a part of the family of God. And God, I pray that we will be people of the towel, that there is no job too small. There's no calling that you've given to us that's that's not enough to say, God, I'm going to put you first and believe that who you are. So God, for the next five years and times that again and times that again, God, I trust that you, as you have been faithful then, that God, you will be faithful to us today. So bless this congregation. Bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.